0: My voice is back and I am ready for action Y'all, this week I have two amazing brothers doing their PhDs And going in on some shit Woo! Y'all ready for Profane Faith? D. Hodges' voice is back! Come on!
1: Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago
2: How are they going to beat ISIS? I don't think it's going to happen but but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity
1: stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he does, you will no longer be a homosexual, but you will be a heterosexual. And that's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process.
0: This is Profane Faith a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Fam, fam, fam. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is your boy, Dan White Hodge in the place to be in the place to be. Yes, indeedy. I wrote graffiti. Oh, yes. Well, welcome back to another another week of profane faith here in the place y'all my voice is back still not completely a hundred percent, but I will take it i it's much better than it was last week uh man i I, I hate losing my voice it's my money maker y'all it's my money maker. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling better, feeling better. Well, I was feeling better last week. Definitely feeling my physically feeling better hundred percent, but my voice, you know, still got some crackles in there and everything, but it's much, I got much more tone and, and range than I did, uh, last week. So thanks for hanging, but woo, wasn't last week's episode, just the bomb. Oh my gosh. That doc Hawk. That if you haven't listened to it, this is your first time, Profane Faith, of course, is always welcome. Uh, Dan White Hodge, always recommend going back and, you know, checking out the the, uh, episodes prior to this one. But if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend going back and listening to that, just as the director for uh, the new film, Same God, and man, just some deep deep-ass shit going on there um, and it's getting some good awards and you've been following them on Twitter and they've been having some really great discussions in regards to, you know, just the bullshit of, you know, dogmatic Christianity. I mean, I think that's, you know, oh man. And I tell you, that's that's kind of even on this week, just, you know, what's kind of been on my mind this week. And, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about that last week, but uh, again, voice. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think... I don't know. I got a lot of different uh, thoughts in regards to religion, in regards to um, faith, and what that looks like. I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at a crossroads with. I've talked about this, you know, made this a few weeks ago about, you know, I'm cool just not going to church. I'm cool not having to have the really the the frustration and stress of church of. Um. You know, having to go and put up with the really the bullshit. I mean, it really that's just what it really comes down to. And um, I struggle because my old self still has that there. And I don't want to say old self. Let me ref- let me reframe that. I think my 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 ideological structure has moved along, but there's still remnants of, well, you should be doing this up. Oh, well, you, you should be going out and going, you know, going about and, and you know, and being, being in church, you know, and like I said before, you know, it it's, it's sometimes it's just nice to shut people up when they say, oh, where do you worship at? You know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, uh, and just to say, you know, I don't, I, I don't worship at a particular place. And so it's redefining, I think, what worship looks like. I'm sure by now, most of y'all, especially if y'all listening to Profane Faith, you probably seen that um, that whack ass picture uh, of all the worship leaders. You know what I'm saying in front with you know President Trump and you know and somebody's like reaching out to touch him and everything. I'm just like, oh lord, um, but this is where we're at, right? I mean we're really in a fucked situation um and 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 i think so much of faith has gotten wrap, wrapped up into that because there's now a strong narrative that says right trump is our um, savior and to stand against him means to stand against the you know the word of god um that's cult like y'all that's uh that <laughs> that is that is in in no way shape or form anything that um that would for me be like in my realm, I would never say Obama is God's messenger, right? Like this is, you know, next to God. I mean, that's, you know, and it's and you know, I just had a book come out on Tupac, and you know, a lot of folks that I was interviewing, uh, a lot, well, a large part of my research has been on Tupac and theology, right? And the folks that I've interviewed, uh, and done research with, you know, some of them have said, "Oh man, you know, he was like a god to us and stuff." But it's interesting that Tupac himself never considered himself that. In fact, he would shy and point people away from him being this he he looked at himself as a conduit he's like I'm just simply a conduit I am not the one I am not the messiah um there's a new book out um by uh Sean Illing he's a cult expert um and he was a former member of the Moonies uh he has a new book out called The Cult of Trump and it uh it's the first serious attempt to argue that Trumpism is a cult and uh, I haven't I haven't read it yet. I know who this guy is, but I haven't read the book yet. I'm excited to read it, um, and take a look at. It. In fact, if y'all have any connections to uh, 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 to Sean, I would love to reach out and have that conversation with him because I think we are living in those times. We're living in those. It's an interesting time, I think, in terms of a lot of different things. We're ending a decade, okay. Number one, um, there's always a shifting in the sense of. Human worldview and religious focus at the end of a decade, definitely a century, right? We saw that up twenty years ago at the at the end of the twenty the twentieth century and the end of a millennia, right? Moving into a new millennia, so that was a that two bammer. But at that point, we still hadn't hit the marker that we've hit now with how interconnected we are with. Each other, social media, and 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 when I mean interconnected, I don't necessarily mean personally. I just mean news is everywhere right now. In the moment, it's here and it's it's in your face. It's always in your face. You know, I was just trying to explain to somebody the other day that you know, 25 years ago, uh, it it took a minute for news to kind of get certain places, and and you know, it wasn't as instantaneous as it was as it is now. Um, So just that alone, people reflecting back and thinking through just that alone. Not only that, there's a lot of movement towards, for example, I've talked about this on the show before as well. You know, in the next decade, they're saying, you know, we want to end up on Mars, although I believe that You know, NASA has been to Mars, but I'll do a whole episode on that Um, already. I mean, that was it was in the works after the Apollo missions. They were hoping to get somebody there by 1978, 1979, um, actually. And, you know, Apollo 17 and 18, as most of you probably know, or maybe you don't know, I don't know, were already paid for. Um, to go back to the moon, and so, um, but they're, you know, they're wanting to, you know, to have that happen, we just had a, what is it, it's $738 billion were just, was just approved for the Space Force, right, the new arm, what is it, the fifth arm of the, uh, the armed forces branch, which always amazing to me, like, when, you know, when you hear those type of numbers, I always ask, like, wh- wh- where are we going to find the money for that, right, we can't have health care, we have, uh, you know, it, it, we, we have neighborhood terrorism with certain police officers. Uh, we, you know, we, our schools are, are starting to fall apart. People are striking because they can't, you know, just get basic services. But we got $738 billion, right, to put towards the, the goddamn Space Force. Now, that being said, I mean... There is there and there is some interesting things going on even with that right I mean what what space force where's that money going to I mean it, we already know NASA's seventy five percent of NASA's budget is black meaning they get NASA always says oh we don't have any money we don't have any money they have billions of dollars that they don't it they, they don't even have to account for when I mean black it it means that that is. Military, uh private industrial complex. When you think about uh Bigelow, I'm forgetting, I think it's Ed Bigelow. He's a, a billionaire who's been obsessed with aliens and uh he's been in um, you know, when you have money and you're white and you know <laughs> a man, you have access to all these places, right? Um and then when you think about just just where NASA has been in terms of, you know, you gotta remember we have our rocket technology from Nazis. Um, you know, that, that technology, rocket technology came from Nazis. When we took over Germany, they took those scientists and they brought them over to America, gave them amnesty. Okay. And, uh, they created the rocket system and that's, that, and that's not even hidden. That's just common American history. So this is why I always think it's like, wow, but, 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 but here we are trying to, you know keep people you know on our southern border locked out of this country because they're the real enemy <laughs> right it's bullshit like that and so we're entering a, a new a new um a decade in in a time where technology has surpassed really where we're all at i'm very curious to see where ai ends up by the year 2030 i'm also curious to see where we end up just as a climate as a society uh in 10 years by the year 2030 um james webb telescope goes up i mean all these things that are that are happening are pushing us towards um an interesting time in relations to the Human, and when I mean human, I mean as as a species. You know, the human species being pushed towards the notion and knowledge of of this somehow coming consciousness that you know somehow technology will give us, and somehow this betterness. Right? You see, common on commercials for uh, uh um for artificial intelligence, right? And he's somehow making it out that it's just going to be this amazing thing. But the reality of it is, is that slowly but surely. Right. Our stores, our uh, uh, environmental places are slowly being taken over by robots. So guess what? Where are those jobs going to go? They're going to go to robots because robots don't need days off. They don't need workman's comp. In fact, if anything... You, All you got to do is have one or two humans to operate hundreds and thousands of machines. Um, And so you just, out of principle, when I go to stores, I don't like going to the automatic checkout teller. I still go, I want to go see somebody. Um, Because that's just kind of where we're headed, right? And so... Those are some concerns of mine, and, and you know, I'm working towards an episode of that. And, of course, as you know, the theme of season four is the theology um, of hopelessness, you know. And, and what does that look like? What does God look like in a hopeless situation? Um, what will it take for us to realize, you know, the damages we've done uh, to the planet? Um, how long does it take uh, for, you know, justice to rise up? Why are we still dealing with shit that we were dealing with 50 years ago, right? Um, I, and I, I would always, I would love to have interviewed, uh, MLK 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And I and asked him, what do you th- where do you think we'll be at in the year 2019, 2020, right? Um, you know, and a lot of people thought we'd have flying cars and, you know, all that, you know, jets and shit that you see on, on, on cartoons and whatnot. I mean, you look at old, um, You know, Bugs Bunny cartoons and, you know, the whole the future, you know, was always uh, uh, an interesting time. Right. Flying everything. Right. Um, So it'll be interesting, interesting to just to see how just, you know, corporations and the form of capitalism takes on a different uh, form, uh, how it adapts to technology uh, and how we begin to see the usage of people, uh, what education is going to look like. Education, higher education is already changing. Um, you know, it's, it is what we call now the Yelp education. It is the, the essentially is turned into a, a, in a sense, what, uh uh you know, it's, 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 it's just that, right? It's, it's, it, if I don't like this, I'm going to, I'm going to vote for this. I'm, I I don't, I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to rate you in this way. And I'm going to, you know, make sure that, uh you know, you don't get any more customers and stuff. Right. I mean, and that's, and I, and I hear that. And even in students, right. In the way. They respond to papers, the way they respond to grades. Um, I am, uh, you know, I'm, if you don't follow me uh, on Facebook, I, I usually p- post my students' crazy ass remarks on there because, and they really are crazy. But it's amazing to me that every year I think, oh, this, it'll never get crazier than this. And the next year it's like, that group of students is, well, hold up, hold up. We'll we'll, we'll make it even crazier. um. You know, you know and I don't want to sound like the principal or the vice principal on The Breakfast Club, right? Um, uh, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if, you, if you've seen The Breakfast Club. You haven't. Maybe, you, maybe you're maybe all too young for that, but, you know, the uh, uh, that was kind of a show that really, right, defined, you know, a kind of a quote-unquote generation, well, particular generation, not not necessarily black generation, right? Um, but, uh, you know, he was going in and talking about the future and kids and all that stuff. I don't want to sound like that, but... I'm also concerned as as a citizen, as somebody who's raising a daughter in this in 10 years, she'll just be 23 um, starting her life. Um, And so, you know, and other people say, you know, hey, Dan, come on, no, come on, you know, it's not that bad. You know, and maybe, uh, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I am, you know, not... um, not right. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll go a different way. I don't, I I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that. It takes, uh, humanity a long time, especially with where we're set up because we treat the economy like a goddamn person, right? Um, we treat it like it's, it's got feelings and, and it's hurt and whatnot. And, you know, when I see people spending 700 plus billion dollars, um, on a space force of which money can be used at, at any, in any manner that certain individuals see fit, but yet, We can't even, you know, you know, the homeless population continues to grow. Right. And when you think about, you know, how money is being spent, because it's not about the money. Right. People say, oh, we don't have enough money. No, it's just about where it's allocated. And so those are some things I think about because, you know, it's connected right back to the church. I mean, those those worship leaders don't just show up to the president's office because they it's that. Shoot, I want to be around somebody famous. It's this idea notion of celebrityism this notion and ideology around, you know, being around people who have a lot of money. You know, I mean, think about what drives most of Christendom right now is conservative money, right? Can't talk shit, can't do all this over here because, oh, you gotta offend the donor. Oh, you go over here, you know, you can't you can't do that because, oh, oh, the donors don't like that. So, yeah, I think we got, you know, we got some things that you engage with. And here's the thing, I don't necessarily know how to wrap my head around solutions of all that, Right. Uh, which is why I have a podcast and, and just talk about it and, and put it out there. Right. <laughs> well, more on that. Uh, I know I've kind of ranted, but I, I get a, I had to get a little rant out just a little bit. You know, just now that my voice is back, you know, I had, had to say a few things. Um, this week I have two amazing guests. These two brothers. Oh my gosh. They are amazing. I met them of course at AAR and, um, and they have just been amazing cats, friends and, and just great thinkers. Um, Jorge Juan Rodriguez and my man James Howard Hill Jr. Um, they are both great thinkers. They're both great writers. I'm excited to see what the future actually holds for them and the material that they will be putting out. Uh, I always love hanging around these two uh, fellas because uh, they always got something great to say and just the way they think. And if you don't follow them on, on social media, I'm, I'm 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 gonna put the links in the show notes. You definitely got to get on and check them out. Um. Jorge is the son of two Puerto Rican immigrants who came to the United States a year before he was born. Uh, and though his mother was raised, and uh, she says, as though my mother was raised in the tall, curvy mountains of uh my father and my father in the humid, bustling streets of Rio Piedras, I grew up with my parents, grandparents, and uncle in a small, affordable housing community in urban Manchester, Connecticut. He says the story of diaspora and language, gender, race and disability has propelled my academic journey, leading me to the degrees in biblical studies, social theory and liberation theology. He's presently pursuing a Ph.D. in modern religious history at Union Theological Seminary, exploring the intersections of religion and colonialism, coloniality. And he's on staff with the Hispanic Summer, uh, the Hispanic Summer Program. Amazing program. We had it here in Chicago at one point and had that brother out doing some amazing stuff. Now, James Howard Hill Jr., the interdisciplinary doctoral candidate in the Department of Religion at Northwestern right here in Chicago, who is also pursuing a graduate certificate in African-American studies. His research engages a wide range of critical paradigms from Black Studies, Sound Studies, and Theology to Popular Culture. He is This brother right here is uh, doing some amazing work on Michael Jackson, like shit that I ain't even heard of. And so I've had him for the last two years come out to my hip-hop and theology class, and he just takes the whole class, just takes it. Runs with it. Students love it. For the second year in a row, this is one of the highlights that students note of the entire class. They're like, man, I had no idea. And he really helps connect some of that methodological framework with theory and also pragmatics uh, for students to better understand. That's some deep-ass shit pedagogy right there. James is uh, also he's gotten uh, he's a recipient fellowship of the Science Research Council, uh, as well as the Northwestern University's Mellon Cluster Fellowship. He's also with the Louisville Institute and uh, the Forum for Theological Education. This brother is man, I'm telling you, he's got his stuff together. He's got public commentary and issues of race, popular music, sports, black politics and religion, which have all appeared in the Black Agenda Report, the Syndicate, Urban Cups and the Huffington Post. Um, I had a chance to sit down with these two fellas earlier in my semester uh, just to talk religion, race, identity, being a doctoral student, what it means to navigate some of these environments, um, how those environments are made. And I'm. Hoping, if you're listening to this for the first time, maybe you're a doctoral candidate yourself, and you can kind of pull something out of this, um, and some kind of uh, some some nuggets of wisdom um, out of this, because they just break some stuff down. And um, I wish I could have gone to school with brothers like this. And so, without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to James and Jorge. And uh, just a real quick mention, and this may just only be me, but uh, at the time I didn't have the the gear that I normally record on was not in my office. So all I had, because I always have backup, all I had was a little MP3 recorder and I was not about to reschedule with these brothers. We actually had already rescheduled twice and I wasn't going to reschedule with these brothers. So I just recorded everything down to that. So the sound quality may be a little different than what y'all are normally used to. I tried my best to clean it up, tried my best to make sure it sounded excellent and, you know, the top-notch material that I put out each week, but I just wanted to give you that heads up. And maybe you don't even notice. Well, maybe now you're going to (laughs) notice... <laughs> and um, since I'm telling you, but I uh, just wanted to give you that heads in case, you know, be emailing me like, damn, what happened? I'm like, that's what happened. It was that didn't I couldn't I couldn't master down a wave file, had to master down an MP3 and one 128 um, kilobots at that. I mean, I couldn't even get it like the, you know, the the extra duper compression rate. So uh, bear with it. Uh, I try to clean it up as best I could. But the conversation is what matters and the content. So check it out. Tell me what you think. This is Profane Faith. So soon-to-be doctors i suppose here uh welcome to profane faith thank you so much for taking time to come on the show
1: thank oh. you so thank you for
0: having us yeah this well i mean so we've connected a lot through aar i have heard always y'all's presentations y'all are amazing and sharp uh cutting edge james you and i have had the privilege of flying home together we're both here in chicago um why don't okay. each of uh, y'all, either one of y'all, just start by just, you know, introducing yourselves and, you know, what's been going on from birth to now.
1: Yeah. from birth to now? Yes, sir. That's a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know what's happening, but I uh, know this far as uh, outside. Of-
0: Colombo
2: fan, so I feel you. Yeah. Um, I I'm working. Uh, I was born, raised in Manchester, Connecticut, and raised an honor for my parents that are, are from the beautiful and complex island of the seven years and am also on my fourth year of my PhD program, James and I started together. Uh, but that sort of led me you when know, was tripping. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, that's a story for another day. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, um, before I my PhD uh, in the field of history at thought of the Seminary Action, just found out that I passed on my exams. So Congrats. Shout out, shout I'm out. really excited about that and um, working on my disengagement proposal. I'll be in probably next week. So, really looking forward to to dissertating, to, to, to being an archive. I know I'm an historian because I'm excited to go into old papers. Um, and, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to building up And on the side, um, I am also an administrator of the East program. And in my real life job, I'm a a you know, you know, home taker. I love uh, my home. I love my house. Um, I'm here. And my wife actually needs a, a grade school teacher third grade great building. and her school is actually just down the block from us, So we moved to a neighborhood so we could be close to her. school and we see her little kiddos running around. I was just there the other day uh, helping them bring boxes up to the classroom, bookshelves and bookcases when we are setting up for new school year. So uh, yeah, I'm very excited to come Talking you with know, y'all, I talk to James all the time. i talk
0: to you I out more. No, well, that's why I wanted to, you know, to have us connect because I, I, I follow y'all online and y'all always have some great commentary and, uh, you know, feedback and whatnot. But, Lorraine, well, hey, you brought up some good stuff here about what you and Brother James were talking about. I'd love to hear, you know, be a little fly on the wall in terms of what y'all have been talking about and, and you know, particularly as it pertains to, you know, doctoral or religious studies. Um and race and all those good things uh, as well.
2: Yeah, whatever we talk about. I was gonna say I'm gonna let like my friend James start. <laughs> no, we right you know, we've been talking up a lot about um, you know what what does what does the academy claim for us? What does it uh do to us and is it worth it? Uh, I think that's kind of like, I don't know if you agree James, it's kind of a general theme that we've been discussing, and we've been discussing this for years at this point. Uh, i talking about, um, particularly as marginalized people, um, for in our particular case, as men uh, who grew up in poor homes, who grew up, you know, being some of the first people to go to college and well, pursue higher education. Um, what does this all? What does it mean, then, to be in these spaces but still, seeing our communities back home, not in these spaces, but also being questioning what these spaces uh, want to claim from us as, as people, what they want us to buy into, what they want us to perform as, and asking, you know, is that actually, is that actually worth it? So I with that general kind of uh, theme because I think that that. That theme is one that we've been discussing, and it manifests in the particularities of everyday life in a very explicit ways. So, I don't know if you want to yeah, no, jump just, uh,
1: just the theme of trust, and what does it mean to trust ourselves? I think that's one thing that Ray and I spoke about often. And I was speaking to a mentor of mine, Dr. Brian Manzo, a professor here out at Garrett Trusting yourself, of trusting your gut, of trusting your, your family, the vision you mm-hmm. and your partner, if you if you have a partner or partners, um, the vision you have for your family. And one of the um, unfortunate, i uh, be generous right now, but, you know, <laughs> unfortunate uh, aspects of this profession, the profession, the, 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 uh, the uh, professorate, right, of, of, of academia, uh, is that it can teach you not to trust yourself. Uh, and it can teach you to put your trust in the institution. To put your to, to put your trust and even if you don't know, trust the institution, because it's not sometimes it'll be honest and not and, and, uh, and straightforward and say, you know, you'll be a fool to trust us but you better not trust anything or anybody else including yourself. So <laughs> some, of it, you're, some of that, you know, you to be great, right? You're,
0: That's something that I've wrestled with my entire um, academic career because that was the advice I was given. Um, you know, you just got to do what you got to do. Period. I mean, to sum it up, right? It's like you got to you got to go out there, and that was what one of my mentors told me: it's like you, you're going to have to move. Your, your your community will be people at conferences. You know, you'll see them once a year, maybe once or twice a year if you're lucky. Um, but that's going to be your community, and this is going to be your uh, your, new, your new family. Um, I remember looking on that, and I was like, man, it really feels oftentimes like it is a machine. And like you said, it's like there's so much caution that that I feel we as persons of color can take because ultimately um, it, it, it feels like you can be took out at, at, at almost any block. If, if somebody doesn't like what you say, and it's never going to be that. And one's ever going to just tell you that flat out. Or if they do... They're much more gutsier than the people I've encountered. It's always going to come through, well, someone overheard you saying, or, you know, we heard this that you know, what was going on. What is your particular position, you know, on this? Or, how, you know, how do we understand this? Or just restructure the organization altogether. How have y'all navigated that space, the, you know, the the, the, the space that, 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 that says you just got to do whatever? Do you, you know, do you feel it like it is selling out? Do you not? Do you have to sell
2: out to be this whatever I'd be curious. I feel like something something we're talking about today is that uh, I I said it very eloquently. You know when you say something, you're like, damn, I wish I would record that because that was fire how I said that. But that's another thing with it. But, you know, I think a conversation that I, I have been having with colleagues across the board is like, and, and this is in part because I lead a lot of workshops with um, Latinx uh, seminarians in particular, but also Latinx grad students in general, as well as undergrads. Um, and I, I asked the question about vocation, but vocation not in this like evangelical lofty sense, right? Because I feel like in, you know, in the history of the word vocation, many evangelicals in particular have music to use. What is your vocation in the market? Right? your vocation under capitalist logics. And I'm, I'm not interested in our jobs. I'm interested in what is our orientation towards the work we do and to who for whom do we do it. Uh, and I think that the question that you're asking, Dr. Haj, the, the question that comes to my mind is how, who is the witness test for our work and how do we orient our work? And is it our community or is it the academy? And I think that, and by our community, I mean, that's, you know, for me, I'm thinking about my family in a very real way. I'm thinking about the folks in affordable housing I grew up with. I'm thinking about all these little kids that are running around this neighborhood, Washington Heights, that my partner is teaching. Who, you know, I'm walking I'm walking down the street and I'm asleep. I don't speak English on those days. And I have, you know, people here that I'm wondering, you know, what's their story? I'm asking them their story. Like, that's why I think about my community, because the Academy is this artificial place. Like, the Academy isn't necessarily going to feed me, you know, when I'm hungry. The Academy isn't going to, you know, come out here and help me move, even though they don't know me at all. Uh, And so my question becomes for me, and I think that this is a challenge I have for other people, when we're navigating these spaces, and that means doing our academic work, that means writing, that means presenting at conferences, um, it is our litmus test of what, if it's successful, whether or not the Academy accept, accepts it, or whether or not we accept it. And I, we, our community, accepts it. And I'm yeah, just gonna say, and I think that shifts, but I think that there needs to be a reorientation of values in the academy, and I think that the part of the issue is that some of right. us enter the academy and have no other choice. Part our, <coughs> our choice is our community. No, I but, yeah, to just jump in to also respond to Doc's
1: question. Um, and say to that and everyone, I think, off of what Doc about what his mentors and just people in conversation have told him. And the thing is, I wanted to say, like, that's not bad advice. we're <laughs> just talking about, like, a, so like in the market, right? Like, like yes, you're gonna have to. Many folks, if you want, if you have a particular notion of success, if you have a particular aspiration to be a particular type of successful scholar, earn a, earn a particular wage, have a particular um um um. You know be recognized in a particular way right right by the guild and some decisions are, ha- are going to have to be made and so when people are talking about you're going to have to move and you know you're going to have to visit your family on holiday you got to get those freaking fire miles ready because you're only going to see them everyone's once in a while. Like, that's that's not not true They
2: should line up the next fifteen years of their lives. <laughs> don't know. You don't know where they're to from. You know, don't know the health of their grandparents. What do you should have the moral transition to go to begin the conversation from that orientation? That's a question. And building on that, I mean this this comes back to again, like what is our orientation towards this word? And I think this this question that I'm always coming back to, do we want to be successful or do we want to be free? And those things aren't the same thing like, success is defined with these limited mean, parameters that James is talking about is all about the market. Again, this is where, where, where this conversation about location can coming from. It's about being marketable, right? So you set up your presentations to be marketable for the market, the market that allegedly has no jobs, right? But everyone's got money everywhere somehow. Um, and a market, a market that wants you to, you know, publish your into it's a market that whatever, and it is like that's cool, if I write 15 journal articles and, you know, my family's going to deported, what does it matter? If I write 16 journal articles and the kid down the block and got food to eat, why does it matter? And so my question becomes, like, is, where is the latest test for success? And for me, this is an an abstract question, you know? I'm I'm from Puerto Rico, and as every Puerto Rican ever, many Puerto Ricans in the Diaspora reflected on two years ago, you know, during the hurricanes, there were there were moments where we didn't know if our families were alive. You mm-hmm. know, like, where does where does the where does an image of success where I have to go get a tender track account for the life and death experiences of all people? Mm-hmm. And so my question becomes, and this is riffing on, off what James says, like, do we want to be successful or do we want to be free? And I think particularly as minor people who have always had to deal with that, who have always had to deal with that negotiation inside or outside the academy, you know, and figure out what it means to be free, figure out what it means to have life, what it means to thrive in these complicated death rooms in some instances, like, that's a different calculation, I think that the academy wants to allure us to think that it is the center of the universe, and that it is the only, the only its standards of a success map, and only, and we're only legitimate by God, we have some
0: true standards of success. Mm. Oh, uh, oh, that's a whole dossier, right? Right, In and of itself right there. I love that. Um, wow, y'all got me thinking about a whole bunch of different things. I mean, I wish I had known some of this stuff, you know, prior. I mean, and most of us do, right? Hindsight's always, you know, perfection, right? Um, but I'd be curious, just particularly with family um, and the market, quote unquote. I mean, because we can't overlook that, and we can't overlook what you know. Let's just be real. Like you said, there's quote unquote no jobs, but you know we're quote unquote on a hiring freeze in my institution. But I just got an email from you know the front office. You know, and, and look at all the people that got hired. You mm-hmm. know, look at all the people that just got you know full, like coming in at, as full professor. But uh, but I'm being told there's no no more positions. There's no open positions in there, mm-hmm. and, and you can't get any any budget increases. Um, so I'm like, well, wait a minute. Where, where did that money come from? So obviously, there is the aspect of capitalism because this is this is you know, the system that we're you know whether we want to resist it and we have different forms of resistance, we still live in in, in this kind of market-driven uh, culture. How have y'all navigated that, the, the money piece, right? I mean, how do you keep the lights on? I mean, I'm not the one that says you hey, all personal or anything like that, but you know, yes. food and, uh, and, and, and the kids and. And uh,
1: spouses and partners and all that. I <laughs> think <laughs> that's a real conversation, Doc, and I think that that's where, you know uh, we have to we have to be we have to be honest, we have to be forthcoming about uh what our negotiations are, what our negotiations are not, and some to what our idea of success is. So for me, I start off by saying it's the first thing. I can do multiple things and that's where um, I mean that, because I also like this idea, like, like I think I would say that, you know, I, um, and I, I don't want to, you know, it didn't get into it, specifics because, you know, I don't want to, you know, um, uh, 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 you know disrespect someone who's, who best, best story may be theirs, and, you know, uh, certain, I mean, not know, but when certain people write about, you know, I, I've spent this many years in this community, I can get a tenure track job, so my life is over, like, you know, you I think that's a, that's, a, that's a broader conversation. I can hold everything you're saying, but the idea that there's only one thing I can do. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And, and when it comes to, like, the market, like, I think it comes to this, this, this privileging uh, the office of the professor, right? This I feel that no one else in and, and, and the market, capital and suffers like <laughs> maybe, you no, know, in many jobs, maybe.
2: You know, I see colleagues that are like, they don't if I have to identify how because they want to stay in the academy you and know, they're adjuncting six or seven jobs for you know twenty-seven dollars a year. And I'm just like, why? Like this is a this is a systemic issue. How um, do we deal with systemic issues? Um, and so for me part of part of that is that I've always cultivated other skill. And this is in part because I you know, grew up as a immigrant kid, I was little, really. I started archival work when I was seven and I had to figure out how to do things for my parents, and we had some local things to take, take care of. And so I've always had the idea that idea, and I always you always cultivate multiple skill sets, multiple, uh, multiple realities, in order to be able to you know, find work when we need it, in order to be able to search for things, but also be able to fight against systems that prevent people from working and prevent people from getting a life. Right? Uh, and so for me, I think part of the, part of the question here, too um, is, again, this great this question I have, what is the award of the Academy? What is the award of the Academy that prevents us from imagining beyond itself? And I had this profound conversation once a few, a few years ago with this um, older professor, a, a black professor that's uh, well-known, I'm, I'm not sure his name, uh, but we had this conversation. and He, he told me something I found profound and said, you know, I see your generation questioning things more more than my more than my, They ask me, you know, well, why why do you think that is? And he says he said, Because in my generation, we were the generation of first. We had the first black women as beings, the first black men as professors, the first Latinx person editing this thing, the first, you know, whatever editing this whatever. And then they worked themselves to the bone because they were the first and they got cancer and they died and they got heart attacks and they died and they worked themselves to the bone and the numbers didn't shift, the numbers didn't grow, the structures remain the same and I think that your, your, your generation is, is sitting here looking at that and saying thank you for your effort because without you we wouldn't be where we are and also that up uh, how do we learn from your legacy, one in which you know the academy better and for worse it didn't account for your humanity didn account for your fullness and I think that there's something to be had in that conversation when we can talk about you know how do we eat but also how do we thrive and where is the means test for that thriving and how you know is the academy the only place we can do I'm just not sure it is and I'm not sure it should be mm. I like this this is good uh, um this is uh this, again this is something.
0: But at the end of you know a decade long of adjuncting um i was asking right i was talking about this with my wife and saying you know maybe maybe this just isn't it i mean it's like man we gave it the old college one two um, put out applications tried to publish you know but i'm still in the unemployment line um maybe i'm just you know maybe this stuff just isn't meant to be and i had another Side colleague, and I would just definitely call this person a colleague because you know we weren't necessarily close. And they, and they asked me the question, they're like, "Do you ever just think like it's just you know this just doesn't work out for you? This isn't just going to work out for you?" And I was like, ah. "I don't know. I mean, and I think these are real good questions. And I do, and I will say um, the generational difference in terms of just the questioning that I like and the critical interrogation. Because you're right. I mean, it has been done um, one way. How? Let me ask y'all this: When it comes to that generational question or divide, as some people may want to say. You know, what what do you say to somebody who just says, ah, they're just young. They ain't learned. They ain't learned it yet. They gonna see. They gonna see. Watch. They gonna gonna find out once they get in there. uh Uh-huh. They gonna want to feed them kids. They gonna do what they gotta do. How do y'all, because I know that's always ever present. (laughs) (laughs) How do y'all kind of, you know, engage that, or if somebody comes backhanded or side nonverbal, you know how people talk, man. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I would be curious to hear how do y'all yeah. engage with that.
1: Yeah, I respect it. I respect it because because, because that's, that's an old that, that's an old talking point. That's not just regarding academics as an intelligent person. Yeah, I mean I mean I mean all three of us, you know, come from come from seminary trainings, right? I mean Jesus was thirty three years old and wanted to critique is, you can't say nothing about our structure. You like I something so if that's what they told Jesus in his thirties, like why am I expecting anything different? Anytime a young person is questioning something, you'll always have you'll know there will always be an older mistake, you're not fifty, you, you can't tell anything. But there'll be another fifty year old next to them They're like, well I'm if saying that right, are right and stop and so and so, and, and so and, and. what I'm saying is that, in fact, I get this from my father. My father is an elder. My father is six years old. But one thing I, I mean, shared this with uh with, with a colleague a few years ago, one thing that took me as an accident for many of our parents, it took me until being in my thirties to understand and appreciate my father because I have a father who never once told me I had to stay on the job. What I mean by that, my father never told me that work was not important. My father never told me that, you know, hard work. It's not something that we should, you know, you know, you know, you know, strive towards. But my father told me, I was years old, son, you will never get a job where anybody, especially a white right man, is going to tell you who you are, tell you what you are capable of doing, tell you what you're going to do, and tell you you have no voice. My dad was the type of dad, but if I told him that a
2: thing that's coming up with what, what James is saying that like, at least in my experience with every elder who's told me who told me how because I'm, I'm young there has been three more elders who said come here, let's build together and I think that that has always been my experience of having elders in the community who say Look, love your struggle's not the same as mine I and mean, live in a different time, I live in a different place and also let me tell you what I've learned but also share with me with you do. and I think that, you know I don't know, but I feel like you know we we have I, for me as a model, perhaps other, absolute right, others not agree. Like I always give my respect to the elders. to share, because again it comes down to this question, like, what is our litmus test? Is our litmus test that we're right? Is our litmus test that we're successful by certain means? Or is our litmus test that we're here to build community and to build up our communities, uh, whether they be young communities or old communities or middle-aged communities or whatever. And the other thing is, and there's something I'll say, like, often I feel fulfilled in that about like, think that I don't have any experience. You know, like, I I grew up having the cop up in my house looking for a cousin. You know, I grew up translating legal documents. I grew up taking care of, um, you know, my my uncle has a mental disability, taking care of um, an elderly grandmother, an aging grandmother, learning English alongside my parents. Like, I'm not talking smoke. Like, I've experienced the world in a certain way. That, that experience has shaped my understanding of the world. And if you take time to sit with me for a moment, for a moment, and not assume your experience is normative, which is the same exact perspective that those in power have and that those in power profess and maintain in order to sustain power, even when people don't have power, then we could probably build something up. Because again, is a litmus test of being brave, it's a litmus building up a community. Those
0: aren't the same thing. Hmm. Wow. Okay. All right. This is some, uh, you know, I have to pass the the offering plate around here. And, uh, you know, maybe Patreon plate or something like that in the new age era. Um. All right. So shifting tracks just a little bit then, because this is this is deep. Let me ask how do y'all navigate then, particularly the AAR environment, religious studies? I mean you know, looking at that, and not just necessarily the job, y'all have engaged with that, but I'm also just curious, just subject matter, research, uh, you know, books, and, and how do you look at publishing? I know, you know, I, I'm i filling out a survey now, um, I'm forgetting for who it is, in fact, I should probably look at, look at who, who it is, to <laughs> me. but it's, it's right along the lines uh, around the issue of open access journals, right? And, um, Basically, you know, what do you think of them? Um, um, are they less, you know, academic than that? And, you know, as the founder, uh, uh, the editor, founding editor-in-chief of the Journal of Hip-Hop Studies, I can say, no, That we, we, have, we, we have those things to an excellence. And there's an amazing new editor-in-chief that's running uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the journal now. So how do y'all look at that publishing? And then, of course, before we leave, I definitely want to ask y'all about Jay-Z and Kaepernick and, yeah. and all that good stuff, too.
2: A prep, I started when I started my PhD program that I've tried to maintain, and sometimes it's easier than other times for a lot of reasons, that uh, whenever I do something scholarly for an academic audience, or even just for like, a small audience, like two readers of an exam, I always try as much as possible to translate that or to reframe that in a way that is open and accessible for a broader range of people. Including my family. And so, one of the ways I've done that is on social media, you have always see me posting some of the things I'm writing about, in part because I want, like, you know, I have high schoolers write me, like, oh, yo, I learned about this thing because of your tweet. And it's like, that's, to me, that's dope because it's like, otherwise, a lot of people reading about these topics that are super important are a handful of academics in the Cyber Tower. Uh, But I also try to, like, so for example, I was. I try to always write for, like, popular public, press public if I can. So, like, when I did my second exam, which is on the mechanics a little bit, uh, after I finished my exam, the first thing I did was publish a small piece in Truth Truthout magazine, and then do a radio interview in, like, Wisconsin. And that wasn't, like, to me, those things aren't to fill this to me, they aren't to do anything. To me, it's, I have the privilege of every day studying histories and topics That are important and pertinent to folks in my community, and that folks in my community often don't have access to because Mm -hmm. of the walls of the academy. Because once they're in the academy, the academy doesn't want them to have access to it because having access to it would mean questioning the academy. Um, And so, for me, doing this this type of uh, work that isn't limited to journal publications, isn't limited to conference presentations. But it's also talking about, you know, what some would call public scholarship, quote um, unquote. on social media, on other publications and interviews, going back to my high school and talking, doing things like this. Because I think the other thing is that for me, you know, it changed my life. Like when I met Memphis without a PhD. Being able to see someone see myself yeah. and, um, that, that. you know, for all I critique, the Academy, kind of, that meant something for me. But it meant something for me because it opened it opened up a world. I w I don't want to give the, the academy more more credit than it you know it needs. But what it what it did it was it wasn't like, oh now I can see myself in the academy. What it did was, oh now I can see myself in another place, in another profession, in another way of engaging the community and engaging the world, one that I previously did not think of. Um, and so for me it's always important to do those things. And I think I AR too, much, I try to Um, AR and other conference presentations, man, I I, like things that I talk about this often I like, I low-key hate conferences um, even though Mm -hmm. I love them because I'm an overwhelming extrovert and loving people, but the aspects that I love about conferences is it's a moment to gather with people who might not be able to gather otherwise so like, when we go to conferences, you know, we're out there going with minoritized folks who might be the only minoritized person in their institution, and we're out here asking critical questions about the job, we're asking critical questions about, you know, how these presentations are going, but we're also asking about each other's families, about each other's kids, about each other's dogs, and we're asking about the cotidian realities of life, which is what centers our work and centers our communities. and to me, that that is the, you know, some authors talk about how the colonial and the decolonial exist in the same space sometimes. And I think that in conference spaces, some of the decolonial ruptures are the ability for people to be together and imagine otherwise. Um, and to me, that that's a powerful moment. About open access, I think, you know, I'm, I'm all about saying, why, don't, why, why can't everyone read this? I think that's been a perennial question in my life. Why do I have to be the only one in so many spaces, particularly coming from a particular community? Why do I have to be the only one in this story? Why do I have to represent you know, folks and be the only one? And I, to me, the question is always how do we make things more accessible, more open, and a language people can understand in multiple languages, not just in the English dominant academy? And how can we push these barriers? Because again, the question is like, do we want to be free or do we want to? I have things on have CD, seen being all these other things. So, nonetheless, I'm, I'm an angstie. I'm an angstie. I'm an angstie. I'm an angstie. I'm an, MC, I'm an scholar. I think I always will
0: be. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, it's interesting just hearing y'all talk about this. I know when I finally made it to AAR, you know, it, 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 for me it's been, at least from what I've made it, going and touching on what both of y'all have talked about is, it is a joyful place, you know My wife is gracious enough to give me A hall pass, and not the hall pass Y'all be thinking of, just the hall pass that I can stay out longer than Yeah, yeah I mean, make it plain, I Yeah, make it play I see what kind of marriage they've got um, No wonder they only have one kid um, it, it, what, I, what I mean by that is That my wife and I have worked out That, you know, if I travel somewhere Like, you know, it's parenting is is long and difficult and especially with a kid that deals with anxiety and some social anxiety as well. I mean, so it's like my pack is like, okay, if I'm going to go speak somewhere, great to earn that money, but can you be back within 24 hours, you know? And so that's been our thing. And so, you know, this is AAR is one of the things she sees that has brought fruit into my life. And by fruit, not just meaning publications and book contracts, but the joy and the happiness that is spread into the family as well and of course knowledge and and, and whatnot so i've made it into that and i know it's not a perfect place i mean trust me i go to them chair meetings and i'm like oh lord (laughs) everybody trying to quote some four syllable word and how about how much they read here and all right so i do there is some angst and it's somebody like myself personally who also deals with social anxiety um it's a little overwhelming you know like usually the first that's why i get in on friday because I need that time to just kind of settle in, and otherwise I feel like you said all angsty, and I don't—angst never really goes away. I'm a raging uh, extrovert as well, but uh, at least I'm able to settle in and see some, you know, some familiar, you know, familiar spaces. But um, I mean, oh man, there's so much, and I want to definitely be respectful of our time because all of y'all are, are working and living and doing all that good stuff, but. Bringing this conversation into real time, um, you know, what were your thoughts on, you know, at least the time that we're recording this, you know, with Jay-Z, now we're seeing stuff, you know, that, you know, of course we've got the issues of, of gun control going on and, you know, white mass shooters and, uh, you know, should black families have guns and all, the, all these great conversations that are going on that seem to... Uh, come back to aspects of religion right you got the abortion debate which of course has been you know he- heated and uh, connected uh, to to religion and whatnot um, guns you know people say this is my god-given right you know for this and stuff and then uh you got old jehovah over here you know making some deals so i'd be curious just kind of y'all riff a little bit on that before we wrap up here
1: yeah no i'll definitely partnership that Blacks Livingston makes because I think Dr. Mark Anthony uh, nailed down that Donald Wentz book to do uh, uh, mindfulness and always charges uh, and challenges us to do mindfulness is that it's always easy to critique, to be able to call it loaning for someone uh, who, uh, you know, who you may not like, for people who don't think much of hip-hop uh, anyway. And Jay-Z has, you know, we uh, can say a controversial history. And, look, right, uh, and, and we can talk about homes, you know, hyper-capitalist sensibilities, right? So it, it's, it's, always, it's it, can be, it can be easy to, to, to critique him in many ways, but I think that where I would, you know, uh, step in the same vein as Dr. Neal is say that, okay, but well, what about this woman that you like? Well, that's what I'm saying, and I like to the promote that. There's a long history, where let start with, um, uh, you know, not not necessarily with the with the CEO right on this process, but because of the highest CEO you know, the president. You know, how do we have
2: Jay-Z making this deal, we're also talking about a multi-million, multi-billion dollar industry that is tied to all sorts of global capital that have negatives around the world that are, you know, manifesting in an entertainment industry here in the, here in the U.S. And what I mean by that is to say that like, we, we can, Jay-Z is easy to critique in part because it's harder to critique the system that makes Jay-Z make sense. And that being the capitalist system, that being the history of of racial capitalism, as James James says, you know, should people be making the money that that is being made, should systems exist that allow that to happen? And to me, this is connected to just like a whole host of things that is ultimately all about religion, but not in the way that people actually think about. You know, we have our deals to conversation about religion in the United States to talk about explicitly religious groups, of mean you know, Christians, Jews, Muslims, etc., etc. But I don't want to talk about the religious as discourses around value, or around ethics, and around practices. And once we expand religion to talk about that, we need to talk about the fact that capitalism is a religious system. It has certain ways of having values elevated, practices elevated, that make you buy into the system and perform. System as you're worshiping its God. And I think that there's something that happens in the academy the same way that has a, a religious system that has you bind to a certain moral and value logic and then practice live in a way that worships its God and its plan of salvation. And I think that, you know, we need to expand the religious to not just talk about explicitly religious groups, but to talk about a lens of analysis by which we're understanding. And practices and, and ethics, and how those are forced upon us and called upon us, whether or not we understand it. Like, you know, when we're talking about the conversation about Jay Z and Kath, in some ways we're talking about a conversation about values, about ethics, undergirded in a system that has its own values and ethics about capitalism, about gaining money, about gaining, gaining wealth no matter who exploits or votes against whatever the case may be. Like It's not just about them. They were easy targets to really talk about such a broader, broader reality that has to do with ways in which we all live. Our systems were all mm.
0: Wow. These are good. This is, this is really good, man. I could, yeah, I could definitely chime in on that. But again, time is nigh. Gentlemen, this has been a riveting conversation that I am excited to put out. is uh, an honor to put out. Uh, i mean, kind of bearing witness to this uh, here on Profane Faith. Well, you know, thank you for having us It's always
2: a pleasure
0: to wrap up forward to next time. Yes, for the work you're doing for the community, Oh man, that's just it. You know, I hey, I'm just trying to keep it moving forward and stuff. Um, but thank you. Uh, where can folks find y'all at when they want to bring y'all out? And you know, do those workshops and the plenaries and all that wonderful stuff, right? I
2: don't know if I'm
1: supposed to find me no, no, you can find
2: me on Twitter at uh at J underscore. And for me it's you know, a lot of easier to finding me on Twitter than you will by phone, by email, or any other medium of communication including pigeons. Um, <laughs> my, my Twitter is JJ
0: That's what's up. And again, for those listening, I put all these in the show notes at whitehatchpodcast Go there, check it out for links and show notes and all kind of other great little things that you can click on uh, to hear more about our guests and just learn, like like we've been talking about, to learn more about who they are and where they're coming from. Again, gentlemen, thank you so much. This has been great, and trust me, I will be around. Too. Thank you.